My name is Noah Dieselkamp, and I'd like to tell you a story. I'd like to tell you a story, if you've got the time. From 1980 to 1995, Gary Larson's popular comic strip, The Far Side, was incredibly widespread, being published in nearly 2,000 newspapers. For his work, he won both the Outstanding Cartoonist of the Year and the Best Syndicated Panel Cartoonist twice each in less than 10 years. As impressive as that is, I believe there is more to be said about just how significant the far side has been in the world of newspaper comic strips. And I'll say up front that Comic strips sit in a place near and dear to my heart. Growing up, I would spend entire evenings reading straight through entire books of Garfield, Foxtrot, and, best of all, Calvin and Hobbes. I have no doubt that these comic strips affected my sense of humor and, in so doing, affected what forms of media I enjoy or don't enjoy, even today. To fully appreciate the unique place the far side holds in comics and pop culture as a whole, I want to back up and give a little bit of context. Comics have a long and rich history, the entirety of which I have neither the time nor desire to cover in this story. While we can look throughout history and see images used for the purpose of storytelling, newspaper comics weren't around until the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Comic strips have faced many of the same obstacles as other types of media over the last hundred years. Cartoonists die, newspapers go out of business, and both societal attitudes and technological advancements have had a great effect on what is and is not found humorous. Some comics are relatively resilient to the changes in culture. The first one that pops into my mind is Frank and Ernest, which generally relies on a one- or two-panel pun and is therefore about as humorous now as it was 30 years ago. Others have adapted by adjusting the subject matter or even just the subtle details of their comics. One specific example that sticks with me is from Foxtrot. The mother in the comic, Andy Fox, is a writer, and I remember there being a whole series of comics revolving around her and her husband, Roger, picking out their new computer, which was clearly modeled after the Macintosh computers of the time, the Macintosh Plus, if I had to take a guess. As the comic moved through the 90s and 2000s, creator Bill Ammond continued to keep the illustrations relevant. The Fox family continues to get new computers and devices, most, if not all, of which are modeled after Apple products. Other comic strips failed to keep up on the times and fell by the wayside to be replaced by newer comics, many of which have been extremely successful. So here's a nod to newer comics like Zitz and Pearls Before Swine. Still others have been created and published over multiple lifetimes, and the torch, you could say, has been passed from artist to artist, sometimes multiple times. One of the longest-running comic strips so far is Blondie which was created in 1930 by cartoonist Chick Young. After producing the comic for 43 years, Chick died in 1973, and over 600 newspapers excuse me, immediately dropped the comic strip from publication. However, Chick's son, Dean, undertook the comic, 
begin recouping readership and continues to oversee its production to this day. Though this torch passing is a fairly common practice that has resulted in some very long-running and beloved comics, some of the most influential comics have been the projects of solely one individual for the entirety of the comics run. Excellent examples of this are found in Peanuts, created by Charles Schultz for 50 years, Calvin and Hobbes, created by Bill Watterson for 10 years, Dilbert, created by Scott Adams for 31 years and still going strong, and of course, The Far Side, created by Gary Larson for 15 years. Characters from these strips have permeated pop culture, whether it be through television, such as the Peanuts holiday specials that so many hold dear, or in Bill Watterson's distinct art style that so many have tried to imitate. Frankly, Bill Watterson deserves his own story, but that will have to wait for another time. All of this considered, the world of newspaper comics seems to have been biased towards a little bit of a long game approach. Many of the most ubiquitous and recognizable comic strips of today have run for 30 or more years. Beetle Bailey, High and Lois, Dennis the Menace, Dick Tracy, Garfield, Family Circus, Doonesbury, all of these have been running in newspapers for a long time. But I would argue that few newspaper comics can match or beat the level of pop culture influence that The Far Side has achieved. And it only ran for 15 years. This is part of why the ongoing success and popularity of Larson's comic strip is so significant. A comic strip that ran for 15 years and ended 25 years ago, easily competes in popularity and ubiquity with the comics that have been running quite literally four to five times as long. Larson himself has been honored in interesting ways for his creativity. Not only did he have a chewing louse named after him, look it up, it's called, and I'm probably going to mispronounce this, but it's called Strigophilus Gary Larsoni. Um, not only that, his comic depicting a caveman referring to the tail spikes of a stegosaurus as thagomizers after the late Thag Simmons led to the paleontological community to accept thagomizer as the correct term for that part of the tail. These might seem like rather odd ways to be honored, but Gary Larson is self-admittedly a little odd. On his website, which we'll get back to in a minute, his about page is titled, Gary Larson, Once a Cartoonist, Forever a Wingless Insect. In this online bio, he is quoted as saying, You know those little snow globes that you shake up? I always thought my brain was sort of like that. You know, where you just give it a shake and watch what comes out and shake it again. It's undeniable that the far side's humor is off-kilter and unconventional for newspaper comic strips. Many find some of Larson's panels downright macabre, and those people aren't wrong. The subjects of the far side could really be anything. People, dogs, snakes, cows, insects, dinosaurs, cows, cavemen, aliens, apes. Did I mention the cows? Gary Larson loves his cows. The presentation of the far side was also unique. It was always a one-panel strip, which in and of itself isn't all that unique. You've got the likes of Family Circus, Heathcliff, and even most political cartoons. But unlike those comics, which all took place in a certain context, a family dynamic, a cat's life, and the political atmosphere of the day, respectively, 
The far side had no greater context. All of the information for each panel was either in the illustration or the one sentence caption underneath. No recurring characters, no miniseries, just as much humor as Larson could fit into a four inch by three inch box. But from what I can tell, that's part of what made the far side so iconic and so recognizable. For the most part, the strips are humorous without any context other than a typical human experience in the U.S., and often even less context than that. Not that the contextual ambiguity was always beneficial for the comic strip. One particularly contextless example is the infamous Cow Tools panel. In a cartoon that Larson would later describe as weird and obtuse, he illustrated a cow standing in front of a workbench, with several odd, lumpy objects sitting on it, one of which resembled a traditional handsaw. The only caption simply said, Cow Tools. You could try to figure out the hidden meaning of this cartoon. Indeed, many did when the panel was published. What are the objects other than the handsaw supposed to resemble? Why does a cow need tools? What kind of tools does a cow need? Etc., etc. Newspapers were flooded with calls asking for the secret meaning and humor of cow tools, to the point where Larson released a statement regarding the cartoon, saying, quote, Occasionally, between the time I first conceive a certain idea and the final product, something goes awry. Judging by the number of calls from puzzled readers, including my own mother, this happened with my recent cow cartoon. The cartoon was an exercise in silliness. While I have never met a cow who could make tools, I felt sure that if I did, they, the tools, would lack something in sophistication and resemble the sorry specimens shown in this cartoon. I regret that my fondness for cows, combined with the overactive imagination, may have carried me beyond what is comprehensible to the average far-side reader. End quote. And there you have it. It was just an attempt at silly humor. As always, Larson had included all the necessary information for why it was funny. Readers in general just wanted it to mean something more than it actually did. The panel lives on in infamy, and the term cow tools can now be heard to refer to background details that get unintended attention, such as in a book or a movie. Looking back on this cartoon 38 years later, however, I've got to say, the humor of cow tools doesn't seem nearly as odd to me now as it must have to readers then. In fact, the style of humor is not unlike the style we see in much of the humor on the internet today. I don't want to oversimplify too much, so please don't assume I mean all humor on the internet. I'm not comparing the far side to the ever-popular satirical sites such as The Onion, The Babylon Bee, or Clickhole. And I'm certainly not likening it to the common forms of video humor found on YouTube or TikTok. Rather, it has a similar quirky flavor to that of the internet memes that have steadily evolved over the past 10 to 15 years. Again, I think some, some context would be helpful here. There are largely two forms of internet memes. The first can truly be called a meme. It's a humorous phrase or photo that spreads in usage from person to person and is used in different contexts. Good examples of this would be Kermit saying, but that's none of my business, um, or the surprised Pikachu, or 
the man who misidentifies a butterfly as a pigeon. These types of internet memes are constantly changing and adapting as new layers of memetic humor are added over the top of previous layers, so a meme now might be subtly different in a month than it is today. In fact, internet meme humor has become so complex, it has become its own form of communication, a fascinating development we absolutely do not have time to go into here. The second type of internet meme is not truly a meme in the original sense because the exact image or phraseology is not shared or repeated. But on the whole, the humor of these memes tends to be patterned the same way, relying on images with minimal context and a short offbeat caption that will occasionally edge towards morbidity and the macabre. Sound familiar? As challenging as it may be, I'd like to describe a couple of these memes for you that I have seen online and that I could see coming straight out of one of Gary Larson's many cartoons with only mild alterations. So bear with me, listen to these, and tell me you can't envision how Gary Larson would ink these same points of humor in The Far Side. And at this point, I'm assuming you're familiar with at least a few of the Far Side comics. First example. Somebody took a picture of Queen Elizabeth while she was standing on a black and white checkered floor and captioned it, she can move in any direction, in case you didn't know. Second example. A photo where the P on a sign that said pharmacist fell off, leaving only harmacist. It was captioned, when your pharmacist has turned to the dark side. Third example. An image of a survey question. Do you have trouble making decisions? There are three options to choose from. Yes, no, and the selected option, unsure. Brian Feldman makes similar observations to this in his December 2019 article, as he lamented the fact that the far side did not continue past 1995 so as to become concurrent with the internet humor so akin to it. Quote, that absence over the past two decades is sort of a shame given the particularly internet-y, meme-like brand of humor apparent in many of Larson's single-panel comic strips, which require absolutely no context other than what's in front of you. End quote. So, what is Gary Larson up to since he put down his cartooning pen 25 years ago? According to his newly updated website, he's been honing his skills on guitar and jazz, which I think is pretty neat. That reminds me of one last thing I'd like to share about The Far Side. Until 2020, Larson's comic had never officially been available online. In fact, his website in late 2019 looked nearly the same as it did in the early 2000s, and it was pretty much used as an advertisement for his merchandise, books, DVDs, that kind of stuff. As you might expect, with its immense popularity as well as its easily understood but quirky humor, there was a lot of, shall we say, unofficial sharing of his work online. On his present site, he describes it as his, quote, second publisher and distributor of my work, known as anyone with a scanner and associates, end quote. It got so out of hand that he actually wrote a To Whom It May Concern letter asking his fans to voluntarily take down any and all Farside content they had uploaded. 
He said he was flattered that so many wanted to share his work with others, but that he viewed his cartoons as his children and was, quote, concerned about where they would go at night without telling me, end quote. He received a surprisingly good reaction to this open letter, and many respected his request. But of course, that didn't fix the problem entirely. Fortunately, not all hope is lost. Beginning in 2020, Gary Larson has taken the far side to the World Wide Web and is sharing a revolving set of cartoons on his now updated and, thankfully, modern site. To my knowledge, he is still not drawing any new far side material, but it's good to see one of the most recognizable and influential comic strips finally settle into the internet of its own accord, so that the world at large can once again enjoy the wacky and wild humor of cow tools. Thanks for listening today. The music for this podcast was written and produced by Benjamin Holloway. You can find a link to his website, as well as a transcript of this episode with sources included by visiting my website, bit.ly slash podcast. That's bit.ly slash podcast.